And we'll read together from verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. It's page 1101 in your pew Bibles. That's the Maroon Bibles in front of you. Page 1101. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the roads, the desert roads, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. Father, there is no uh, river we will perform our uh, baptisms in a lovely, warm, heated pool. And yet the reality is, Father, there are some in this place who will need to meet with the Lord Jesus, to have their sins washed away, to be cleansed from within. There are some of us who have gathered in this place this morning who are tired and who are dry, who need to be refreshed in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And so in that sense, we do pray that your Spirit would lead us to that river uh, where forgiveness can be found, 
where we can find the refreshing in the Lord Jesus that we need. We can be brought back to the place that we need to be, that we ought to be. That we might leave this place this morning as changed people, ready to love and to serve and to honor the Lord. So, Father, as we open your word together, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open the text to us, that he would warm and soften our hearts to receive your word with joy. And may we be quick to give you all the thanks and all the praise. In Christ's name, amen. I found myself a few uh, years ago walking through the streets of Govan. I was travelling from the Southern General, as it still was at that time, uh, to Govan Underground. And uh, as I walked along, part of my journey took me past the shipyards on my left. And there was a park on my right, Elder Park it's called, in Govan. And it was a cold day properly cold, bitter cold, icy cold. And as I was walking along the street, there's a, there's a pond in Elder Park, and it had all frozen over. And it looked quite stunning. So I, I took the time to come off the pavement and go into the park and had a look at the frozen pond. And I had a look around and there was no one there, and I thought to myself, I wonder if that would hold my weight. And so, this isn't going to end in full immersion, don't worry, this story, but tentatively I uh, took a step onto the pond, and it seemed okay. So, I mustered up the courage to put my other foot onto the pond, and again, the ice held my weight. And so I had another wee step, and then a wee kind of Torvalandine moment as I had a wee skid along the ice. And then I looked at the middle of the pond. There's a sculpture, this kind of metal thing sticking out the water on a concrete plinth. And as I looked at it, I saw on this wee concrete plinth, I don't know if you'll see it in that picture or not, there was a bottle. And I thought to myself, Someone must have been all the way from the edge of the pond to the middle with a bottle of Buckfast or whatever it is, had a wee drink, left it there and walked away. Little did I know that actually the bottle is part of the sculpture. I think it's supposed to be <laughs> I think it's supposed to be the front of a you know a ship and that's supposed to be champagne. Being in Govan, I thought it was Buckfast. Uh, no offense to anyone who's from Govan. So I thought to myself, well, if someone else has made it all the way across there, I wonder how close I could get. I wonder how far I could go. So I started to take more steps. I kept looking around to make sure there was no one there because I felt slightly ridiculous. And I thought, how close can I get? How near can I get to that sculpture? And it was all going very well until one step 
And if I could find the words to describe what I heard and what I saw in that step, you would not believe me. It was like a cartoon. It was just this loud crack. And I just saw these, all these cracks just race from my foot out to the front and to the right and to the left and behind me. And I looked around. There was not a single direction I could go that looked as though it wasn't going to give way. Cracks everywhere. And so I turned as slowly and as carefully as I could and I walked back to the edge. The very last step, one of my feet went under, but I managed to stay almost dry. So I had to get home from Govan uh, to Airdrie with nothing more than one cold, wet foot. How far can I go? How close can I get? That was a question that I asked. It was a silly question and it was a silly quest when all that awaited me was this kind of lump of metal. How far can I go? How close can I get? Here is a question that is worth so much more. How close can I get to God? There's a question for you this morning. How close can you get to God? It's a much more powerful question and it's a much more profound quest than the one I embarked on that day in Govan. How close can we get to God? We meet in our passage in Acts a man from Ethiopia. He has a lot going for him. He has a good career. He has plenty of money. First century Ethiopia is a, a prosperous and a sophisticated society. He is the official in charge of the treasury of the queen. So he has authority, he has status, he has money. Ethiopia has its own gods. And yet here we find him on his way back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. He has been to Jerusalem to worship God, not the gods of Ethiopia, but the true and living God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was a God-fearer, someone who was not born a Jew, but who revered the Jewish gods. And people like that were welcomed by the Jews up to a point. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he would have been welcomed into the city, the city of God. When he got to the temple courts, he would have been welcomed into the outer courts. Temple is the temple was known as the house of God. But that was as far as he could go. The, the outer courts were as far as this Ethiopian man would have been allowed to get to God. He would always have been kept on the periphery of God's presence. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go one step further into the temple, the court of women. Jewish man, one step further. A priest, one step further. The high priest, on one day of the year only, could get into the most holy place, the place where God's presence was said to dwell in a powerful and a wonderful way. So that was as close 
as this Ethiopian man would have got. For all his long journey from Ethiopia, he would have been kept at the periphery of God's presence, kept in the outer courtyards. It would have been like coming to Airdrie Baptist Church and he would have got into the car park. Some of us would get into the church proper building. Some of us maybe into the corridor, but only one person on one day of the year would have got into the vestry. Imagine it. Imagine knowing that through that door, God's presence was dwelling in a real and a powerful way, but to be told that this is as far as you could get. You could look at the door, but no further. That was the story for this man. And yet it is on his way home from the house of God, the temple, on his way home from the city of God, Jerusalem, that he meets God in the most powerful and I'm sure the most unexpected of ways. He is not on his iPad uh, reading the latest news from home, from Ethiopia. He is found reading his Bible. There's a lesson even in that for us, is there not? If you want to meet with God, if you want to hear from God, then read your Bible. He's probably bought a manuscript of the book of Isaiah whilst in Jerusalem. In Isaiah, there is a passage just a few chapters beyond where he's reading as we meet him in the chariot. There is a passage about God's heart for the outsiders, God's love towards the outsiders, and in particular, eunuchs are mentioned. So maybe someone in Jerusalem has said, you want to buy a manuscript, you want to buy a scroll, Isaiah is the one for you. It addresses God's heart for you as an outsider, as someone who is not a Jew and as a eunuch. And he's nearly at that chapter, but he's maybe two chapters before that. He comes to this passage about the Messiah, about the Christ, and he's reading this text, but he can't understand what it means. He spent a lot of money on this manuscript, very expensive. It's before the printing press, so every scroll, every manuscript is written by hand. If a mistake is made, the whole manuscript has to be uh, set aside and started again. So very, he spent a lot of money on this manuscript. He can't wait. He's so enthusiastic. We take the Bible for granted, don't we, in this country? He's so excited to read God's Word that whilst he's on the chariot, he gets stuck in. But he can't understand what it means can't comprehend what it says. And then along comes Philip. I think we can assume that the Ethiopian has told the chariot uh, to go slowly. Otherwise, Philip must have been really fit as he ran alongside and had this conversation with the Ethiopian. But Philip has been prompted by the Spirit of God to come alongside, verse 29. If you have the, your Bible still open, verse 29, go, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. There's a lot to commend Philip to us in this chapter, in this passage, in these words. 
he is brave enough to go. He doesn't say, I'm going to look really ridiculous if I start running alongside this chariot and speaking to this guy that I don't even know. He doesn't say, what will people think? He doesn't say, what will the man in the chariot say? He might reject me. I might feel hurt. I might feel slighted. He has his instructions from the Lord and he's brave enough to go in obedience and in trust. He has the courage to obey and he has the humility to help. He doesn't say, I'm not helping an Ethiopian Gentile. I'm a Judean Jew. He's not part of my tribe. He's humble enough to help and he's humble enough to listen to what the Ethiopian eunuch has to say. He doesn't run up to the chariot and kind of lob a tract in and then run away. And neither does he run up with a pre-prepared script that he has to get the Ethiopian eunuch to come in, uh, in line with. I went to an evangelism conference once when I was younger uh, in, in the church I was attending at the time. And this man who was supposed to be this great evangelist came to train us supposedly in how to evangelize. And he came along with all of these techniques as to, you know, how to, basically how to be really annoying. He, he told us how to uh, engage in a conversation with someone and not allow them to escape. That's basically his whole mission. Like he would tell you how to ask questions that couldn't be answered with a yes or a no. So the person had to keep speaking to you until you got them to engage in the conversation that you wanted to engage them with. Well, that's not what Philip does. He is humble enough to want to help and he is humble enough to listen, to really listen to what the Ethiopian has to say. Courage and humility. There's a lot to commend Philip to us as a Christian. And there's a lot to commend the Ethiopian eunuch to us as a person who is earnestly and truly seeking God. He's been courageous too, hasn't he? He's been brave. He's traveled all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem. It's a dangerous road to take, especially if people know that he has money. It's not great for his career prospects. Presumably, Ethiopia has its own structure of worship. It has its own gods. I'm sure it wouldn't have done much for his career had people back home found that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship uh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's taking courage for him as well to do what he has done and humility. He is humble enough to ask for help. He doesn't say, don't you know how successful I am? Don't you know how powerful and how prosperous I am? How many, advisor, how many advisors are at my disposal? He says, I need help to understand this. Come on board. Tell me. Teach me what it means, what it says. Who is this person that was led as a lamb to the slaughter? Who is the man who didn't open his mouth? Who is the one who was humiliated and deprived of justice and murdered? And why does it seem to matter so much? Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. There's a lot to commend Philip 
uh, as a Christian. He is brave enough to go. He is humble enough to listen and to help. And there is a lot to commend the Ethiopian eunuch as a true seeker. He's brave enough to go all the way to Jerusalem to get his hands on a scroll of Scripture and to read. And he's humble enough to admit that he needs help. I, I, I remember going to um, Cumbernauld Town Centre uh, a few months ago. I had ordered something in Argos. The only Argos in the country that had this thing was in Cumbernauld. And I've offended everyone from Govan. I'm now going to offend everyone from Cumbernauld. But it's like a maze, that place. And I got in and I couldn't find Argos anywhere. And rather than admit that I needed help and ask a local as they wandered around, I spent about an hour wandering aimlessly in this place just trying to find Argos. And that's what we're like often, isn't it? We're so proud we can't admit that we need help. The humility of this Ethiopian eunuch. Powerful man, wealthy man. He admits he needs help from a stranger running alongside his chariot. So there's a lot to commend Philip to us. There's a lot to commend the Ethiopian to us. But God is the star of the story. God is the key player in Scripture, as is always the case. He is the one who has birthed a longing in the heart of the Ethiopian to know him. He is the one who has brought Philip, the evangelist, to the Ethiopian's sight to tell him the good news about Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, God is the one who is offering full and free forgiveness to all. The door has been opened, the curtain has been torn in two, and Jesus is the way to the Father. And so Philip told him, Jesus is the one who was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is the man who did not open his mouth. Jesus is the one who was humiliated and deprived of justice. Jesus is the one who was murdered. And I'll tell you why it matters so much. Because he did all of that for us. Jesus is the one who has opened the door to peace. Jesus is the one who has opened the door to purpose. Jesus is the one who has opened the door to deep joy and lasting love and eternal life. Jesus is the one who has opened the door to the fullness of God's presence for all who will come and bow before him into his forgiveness, into his favor, into his very family. He himself is the way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus, for all. Judean, Samaritan, Ethiopian, Erdrionian, for all. No matter your ethnicity, your religious upbringing or lack thereof, the things you have said or done or seen or touched, the good news is the invitation is for you. Jesus says, all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Evidently, the Ethiopian eunuch responded to this good news with great joy. Now he didn't have to stay in the periphery of God's presence. The door had been flung wide open, and he came right 
in. As a horse trundles along, there is one more thing that God has planned, that God has prepared. Actually, if you read from the start of Acts chapter 8, the church has been scattered by persecution. It sounds so random, doesn't it, to be scattered? Katie did this. She has this jigsaw that's a circle when you make it. It's like a 3D jigsaw. And Grace was playing with it, and she dropped it, and the pieces scattered everywhere. It just seems so random. Acts chapter 8 opens with the church being scattered as it's persecuted. But it's not random. God is at work in every piece and every person, placing them uh, in just the right place at just the right time for his plans and for his purposes. And so he's brought Philip and the Ethiopian together. He's brought the Ethiopian eunuch under the sound of the gospel. He's brought the Ethiopian eunuch in his response to the gospel into the flock, into the family, into the fold of God. And now he brings them both to water. We don't know what the water was. A pool, a pond, a lake, a stream. We don't know because it doesn't matter. All that matters is that it's there and they're there and he is ready. What is to stop me? Get the sense of the eagerness of the Ethiopian eunuch to be baptized. I've heard it said, if Jesus is Lord, we must obey what he commands. We believe that Jesus commands baptism. And if Jesus is Savior, we must want to obey what Jesus commands. It's a blessing. It's a gift to us. It's a joy. It's a privilege as well as a duty. We certainly have the sense of that in what the Ethiopian asks. What's to stop me? There's nothing now to hold me back. There's no door that's closed. What's to stop me from being baptized? And so Philip steps down with him and baptizes him. And in that baptism, there is the perfect, powerful picture of what this man has experienced. Firstly, he has been washed clean. He has had his sins swept away and cast as far as the east is from the west. There's a picture of that in baptism, is or not? It's like a bath washed clean, not on the outside, but on the inside. When we come to faith in Christ, we are washed clean spiritually. We are clean in the eyes of God forever. There is a picture also of death to the old life, death to a life lived without God. And there is a picture of new birth. Unless you're born again, says Jesus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, he had been born again. And what a picture of that there is in baptism. Born again as a child of God. Born again with full rights to come into the fullness of God's presence. What father denies his child the right of his presence? Born again with full rights as a son of God, no longer in the periphery of God's presence. He's not only in the household, he's in the very family of God. God to him now is Abba, Father. And that's what we will celebrate here together today for Alanki and for Hope. Their stories are very different to the Ethiopian eunuch. You can read a wee bit about them in the news sheet that you were handed on your way in to the church this morning. 
Our stories are very different, and yet it's the same God who in His loving providence has brought everything together. They have come under the sound of the gospel in their homes and in the church and in other places, and they have trusted in Jesus, and their desire is to be dead to sin and alive to God, and there is nothing that holds them back. So rejoice with them, rejoice for them this morning. But also think about yourself. Where are you on this journey, in this story? If you're a Christian, are you like Philip? Are you courageous enough to do scary things for God? When was the last time you did something really scary out of obedience to God's Word? Has relationship given way to religion? Or are you still listening as you read His Word? Are you still obeying even when, frankly, it's frightening to do so? Philip was courageous enough to listen to God and humble enough to listen to the Ethiopian eunuch. And if we as Christians are courageous enough to listen to God and to obey God and to serve God by listening to those who stand in need and serving them, then the Lord will be pleased to use us in wonderful ways. And for those of us who are not Christians, maybe you're a bit like the God-fearers, always on the periphery of God's presence, kind of hanging around in the right places with the right people. I'm not just addressing visitors to the church this morning, maybe people who come to the church week in, week out, but have never really committed fully to Christ. Where are you and what will your response be? There comes a time you need to be all in. There's another uh, thing that we see so clearly in baptism, hope. And Alanke will be all in, quite literally, in a few moments' time. But it, there, there comes a point in time where you have to d- decide whether you are all in or you are all out. There is no fence on which to sit. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, what your parents were like whether they are Christians or not Christians. God issues his invitation to you in the gospel, but you must take him on his terms. This is not for the half-hearted. You must be willing to die to the things that God doesn't like, to the opinions that God doesn't hold, and you must be brave enough and humble enough to surrender all to Jesus. It is a scary thing to do. But who else as the words of eternal life. Who else can offer you what Jesus offers you? No one. So turn to Him, trust in Him, and enjoy life lived forever in the fullness of the Lord's love. Let's bow our heads for a moment in God's presence as we pray. Father, we thank you that the door has been flung wide open. We thank you that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. We thank you for Jesus' words on the cross, tetelestai, it it is finished, it is accomplished. We thank you that he was faithful 
to his Father, that he was faithful to his mission, that he is faithful to us. And we thank you that all who turn to him and trust in him, all who make him Lord, will know him as Savior, will be washed clean and welcomed in. Thank you that we do not have to live our lives on the periphery of your presence, but we can know life lived in that most holy place. We thank you for the joy and the peace that comes from trusting and obeying in, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that Hope and Alanki have chosen to respond to that invitation, to respond to the gospel by giving their lives to Jesus. We thank you for the powerful picture we will see of that as they declare their faith to us by being baptized. And we pray, Heavenly Father, your richest blessing upon them, both now in this moment on this special day and in all of the days that lie before them. May they know your nearness. May they know the power and the presence of the Spirit with them. And may they know the joy of serving Jesus. We ask that you would use them in wonderful and in powerful ways and that they would know your goodness in all that they do. We commend them to your care and to your keeping, now and always, in Christ's name. Amen. You guys want to come up? Him, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and intend to follow Christ? I do. Hope on this profession of your faith and at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Matthew, Rick Ramos, singer. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and intend to follow Christ? I do. Okay in this profession of your faith and at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 